0: Good morning. I am thankful for the opportunity to continue to walk through Leviticus with you all this morning and also am grateful that you have all made it out through the snow and the ice to come and worship. The last couple of weeks I have been struck by a number of conversations that I've had on campus. There's one guy on K-State who's raised a nominal Christian who was trying to tell me that God is just a product of our psychology and that he's only real if we will him to be enough. Another conversation I had was with this girl at Wichita State. And she had seemed to create her own idea of heaven and salvation. And had done so without God. Her idea of heaven was this place where she could be at peace. With her community, with her friends, and just be free of trauma. And what really struck me about specifically this girl at Wichita State... There were deep longings for these things that Christianity has to offer. She longs for healing. She longs for peace. She longs for joy. And while she didn't say so explicitly, she longs for justice to be done. But she wanted those things in her own way, by her own accomplishment. Both of these students want what I would call transcendent goods. These are desires and longings that can only be satisfied in God. Might be joy, justice, peace, community, purpose, or meaning. These desires are baked into our humanity. They're a feature, not a bug, so we shouldn't ignore them. But today, the world that we live in believes it is up to us to find joy, justice, peace, community, meaning, and purpose. So they seek the things that only God can give, but they do so in their own way. But the interesting thing here is that No one's unique in this. Everybody seeks to go about this in the same way. Tara Isabella Burton describes this reality in her book Strange Rights saying that Americans have created a religion of emotive intuition, of aestheticized and commodified experience, of self-creation and self-improvement and yes, selfies. A religion for a new generation of Americans raised to think of themselves both as capitalist consumers and as content creators. A religion decoupled from institutions, from creeds, from mes- metaphysical truth claims about God, or the universe, or the way things are. But this still seeks, in various and varying ways, to provide us with the pillars of what religion always has, meaning purpose, community, and ritual. In short, we've designed, bought, and worked toward our own religion. In this scheme, we've cut out any mediator, choosing to be our own priests, fashioning ourselves a God that fits our own desires. There is no right way to do this in our world. You may think that there is, but that's probably not true for the person that you're talking to. Oh, how far away this is from biblical truth. There is one God who created heaven and earth. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and in his being is wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. He is to be glorified and enjoyed. Like that pie that you had at Thanksgiving that you can't stop raving about. Or the sunset that left you speechless. God is to be praised as infinitely more enjoyable, beautiful, and majestic. And Leviticus is about how we are to draw near to this God and live before the creator of heaven and earth. We have the tabernacle, which is a tent that the Lord chooses to use to dwell amongst his people. He chooses to live in our neighborhood, rather than living off in a gated community that we will never have access to. But there are some problems that come along with this. No one can enter the Lord's house. No one is good enough. And Leviticus details the solution to this problem. My last sermon on Leviticus 1-7 through covered the means by which one is able to come before Yahweh. And the means are a number of sacrifices geared towards atonement, consecration, and fellowship. However, we find that we cannot offer these sacrifices for ourselves. The requirement is to bring the blood before the presence of the Lord, which is what we needed the sacrifices for in the first place. So, we have a problem. This morning we are going to learn about the mediators who are able to use the means for drawing near to God so that God's people may experience him. Um, I'll be drawing on chapters 8 through 10 of Leviticus, but I'm only going to read 9.23 through 10.3. So, if you have your Bibles, please open them to Leviticus 9.23. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from the offering, the sin offering, and the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near to me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Triune Lord of the Covenant, you have called us to be your people and you have given us your word so that we may know, know you and live faithfully before you. Help us this morning to focus, to hear what you have to say. And fill us with awe and joy at your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we find here that there are two possible outcomes for entering the presence of the Lord. We see both in this passage. First, as a result of the faithful carrying out of the priesthood, we see blessing, joy, and awe in the presence of the Lord. The second option is entering God's presence in one's own way. And this demonstrates a profound misunderstanding of the holiness and glory of God, and results in judgment and death. It is here that we see the importance of what kind of mediator we have. One brings life, the other death. One brings joy, the other sorrow. One brings blessing, the other curse. So if we can only draw near to God through a faithful mediator, by what criteria are we to judge? Based on chapters 8 through 10 of Leviticus, we find this. A priest is someone called and set apart by God to serve God and his people by representing God's people, by communicating on God's behalf, and exemplifying life in relationship to the king of creation. I'll repeat that. A priest is someone called and set apart by God to serve God and his people by representing God's people, Communicating on God's behalf and exemplifying life in relation to the King of creation. And the first component of this definition is the importance of being called and set apart. This is the main point of Leviticus chapter 8 as Moses summons Aaron and his sons for their ordination. We see that the Lord has selected Aaron to be high priest, and he has done so long before this ceremony, which makes it especially clear that this is not a self nominated position. The book of Hebrews also echoes this thought in Hebrews 5.4 saying, And no one takes this honor of being high priest for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So in order to become a priest... Aaron, Aaron and his sons go undergo this ordination ceremony. And here's your basic rundown of the ceremony. You have the preparation, the gathering of the people, a washing of Aaron and his sons, the clothing of Aaron, the consecrating of the tabernacle, the consecrating of the altar, the consecration of Aaron, the clothing of Aaron's sons, the purification offering, the burnt offering, the ordination offering, and the sprinkling of blood on Aaron and his sons. And then you repeat this seven times over. And this extensive ceremony is necessary because Aaron and his sons are just ordinary people. They're not holy. They're not fit for their duties on their own. This is why we see Moses performing these rites as well. He's been authorized and called by God to perform these, to ordain the priesthood. And the result of this ceremony is that Aaron and his sons are completely holy and set apart and are able to minister before the Lord. And we see the status change comes through a ritual from common and unclean to clean and holy. And maybe the closest analogy is that of a wedding. Before the ceremony, you have two single individuals. After the ceremony, you have a married couple. Their status has changed after undergoing the various rites that are contained in a wedding. And so there are a couple of details here that I want to draw out. This ordination rite involves putting on new clothing. Which would have been fit for the presence of Lord of the Lord. This clothing was ornate. It was made of fine materials and would have been very distinct from any non-priestly Israelite. This would have been a visual sign of their ceremonial status, similar to the idea of clerical collars. Um, so maybe we should start having Pastor Brian wear a clerical collar, though that probably doesn't fit his style. Another thing that we should not let escape our notice here is that there are a lot of sacrifices made in this process. This may be surprising, but it is not the perfect people who become priests. In fact, Aaron, who was to be the high priest, was, in, was complicit in the making of the golden calf in Exodus 32. He'd committed treason along with the entirety of the people of Israel. So these priests are sinners too. Sometimes it is easy to think that our leaders are not sinners. But there's nothing farther from the truth. So what can we take away from this fact that priests are called and set apart? First, we find that there are no self-appointed priests. You do not get to create your own way to God. Second, we find a way that God has provided these, for these priests to become holy and clean. They were not so intrinsically And in many ways, this pushes against a deeply ingrained way of thinking that if only we improve ourselves, that we make ourselves better, if we become good enough, that our lives will be filled with joy, justice, peace, community, and purpose that we have made for ourselves. And finally, we see that the means of becoming fit to minister and live before God is that of a sacrifice. And if you remember from the previous sermon, sacrifices are costly, bloody, and substitutionary. Here, we have seven days of sacrifices offered, lots of blood spilled, smeared, and sprinkled. And we even have the hand-leaning rite in Leviticus 8.22. It says that Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. So by the end of chapter 8, we have a high priest and a number of other priests that are serving under him. And then in chapters 9 and 10, we learn a lot more about what they are to do. And in our definition earlier, we listed three main things. A priest represents God's people, communicates on God's behalf, and exemplifies life and relationship with God. The role of representation is one of the central roles of the priesthood, and this is seen in a number of different ways. First, we see that Aaron is clothed with this ephod in Leviticus 8-7. And this ephod is described back in Exodus 28, when the Lord is giving instructions for the tabernacle and and the priestly garments and all of the various things that go with the tabernacle. And he describes it, and Moses describes it as such. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave them on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signet, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder or pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. And the point here is that every time the high priest would enter the, to enter the tabernacle, enter, come before the Holy of Holies, he'd be wearing the names of the tribes of Israel. Kind of like the name on the back of a jersey. Maybe you have a replica jersey or you're a player with a jersey. It, the name represents the family or the player. And so it is with Aaron representing all of Israel. This would have been significant because the high priest had the privilege of bringing the needs of the people before the Lord. The high priest